The Coram Deo Church community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you are about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. This morning's reading is from the Gospel of John, chapters 6, 12, and 14. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me does not receive my and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, we've been working our way through the Gospel of John together. As you know, if you've um, been around a little bit recently, we took a break from that over the holidays, and we'll pick that back up next week in John chapter 12. And so this Sunday was sort of a standalone week in the preaching schedule, and it gives us a chance to slow down and ponder one of the major themes that we've seen so far in the fourth gospel. As we make our way through Scripture, sometimes it's wise and good just to slow down and think about what are the major themes and ideas that have been repeated as we've been working through this book. And that's what we want to do this morning. And so to get us started, let me remind you what we believe about the Scriptures. The Christian church believes and has always believed that the Bible is the authoritative Word of God. That what the Scriptures say, God says. God the Holy Spirit inspired the human authors of Scripture in such a way that the final product is both their words and God's Word. So the Gospel of John is the Word of God for the people of God, as Sarah just reminded us. And at the same time, it is also recognizably the work of the Apostle John. It bears his distinct emphases and flavor as a writer and author. And John has his own vocabulary that clues us in to some of the key concerns he has as an author. Consider, for example, the emphasis that John places on belief. Um, The word believe and its cognates, that whole family of words, appears 31 times in the Gospel of Matthew, 26 times in the Gospel of Mark, 31 times in the Gospel of Luke, and over 100 times in the Gospel of John. 
So as we think about John's emphasis, we might ask this, why does John speak about belief three times as often as any other gospel writer? Why does he place so much emphasis on belief and on believing? Maybe because he knows that unbelief is one of our deepest and most profound struggles as human beings. Last week, Justin preached a great sermon as we began the new year, and he he reminded us of the cross chart, which is a little uh, teaching tool that we use often around Cormdale Church. It's from the Gospel-Centered Life, and it reminds us of sort of what the Christian life looks like. It reminds us that there comes a point in time in which we are converted and put our faith in Jesus. That usually happens when we become aware of the gap between the holiness of God and our own sinfulness. But that what's designed to happen as we grow is that we have a growing awareness of the holiness of God and a growing awareness of our own sin. And as those two lines diverge, as we grow in our awareness of both those things, the work that Jesus did on our behalf becomes greater. We're filled with a greater sense of worship and joy and thankfulness for what Jesus has done for us and for all that Jesus is for us. And last week, as this slide was on the screen, I was sitting out here in the fourth or fifth row and looking at that and just thinking about the shape that takes in my own life. And I was thinking about what does it mean for that bottom line to keep growing? What does it mean to have a growing awareness of my own sinfulness? Because we also know that as we grow and mature in Christ, the Holy Spirit is at work renovating our character. And so actually, It's true that we're growing in holiness and godliness and that patterns and habits and behaviors and tendencies in our lives are being put to death and new virtue is being brought to life. So maybe as you look at this chart, it's a little confusing because you feel like actually feels like as I grow in my faith, I should be overcoming various kinds of sin. And that's true in a certain way until you start thinking of the category of unbelief. I started realizing I was sitting out there, you know what the growing awareness of my sinfulness looks like often in my life? Is an awareness of all the places in my soul where I just still do not believe what God says is true. All the places of functional unbelief in my life where my behavior might be cleaned up, I might look neat and tidy on the outside, but actually there's all kinds of places in my soul where I just fail to believe that what God says is true. And I fail to live in the world as though what God says is true. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you've experienced a growing sense of just the real unbelief that's present in your life. And that's what I want to talk about This morning, the problem of unbelief, especially as John proclaims it to us in his gospel. So we're going to look at three things this morning. I want to talk about the nature of unbelief, the effects of unbelief, and the solution to unbelief. The nature of unbelief, the effects of unbelief, and the solution to unbelief. We're going to do this looking topically at the gospel of John. So we're going to take a bunch of texts in the gospel of John and sort of Look at them in sequence and see the case that John is making and the good news he is preaching to us as he writes his gospel. So let's think first of all about the nature of unbelief. When we hear the word unbelief, 
Many of us think of something like atheism or agnosticism. We have a tendency to divide the world into two categories, believers and unbelievers. Now, it's certainly true that there is a kind of unbelief that just rejects Jesus outright. John is very forthright that some of the people who encountered Jesus just did not believe. They just chose to reject everything Jesus said. However, the Gospel of John also shows us a more nuanced and a more complicated picture of unbelief. Look at these three sample passages with me. They'll be on the screens. First of all, in John chapter 12, we read this. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So John tells us among the Jewish authorities, there were people who really believed in Jesus and yet they didn't believe strongly enough to sort of put it all on the line. Second, look at John 14, verses 8 through 10. It's a conversation between Jesus and Philip. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and still, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Here Jesus is talking to one of his 12 disciples, one of the people who has left behind everything to follow Jesus for years. And at the Last Supper, he says, Philip, do you still not believe? You still see the lingering unbelief that's present in you? Finally, look at John chapter 20, this famous interaction with Thomas after the resurrection, starting in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. So throughout the Gospel of John, we see followers of Jesus who believe, yet don't believe. You may remember that famous passage in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, where a father comes to Jesus seeking healing for his little boy, and he pleads with Jesus in this way, I believe, help my unbelief. We see the same thing in the disciples of Jesus as John records the teaching of Jesus. I've been doing some remodeling in my basement. Those of you who know me know this is kind of my happy place. Um, my uncle Bob, who is retired, who was a pastor, uh, used to always say this. He said, if you work with your hands, you Sabbath with your mind. And if you work with your mind, you Sabbath with your hands. 
So I do a lot of thinking work all week. A lot of my work is creativity and thought work and study. And so, man, when it comes to just what do I want to do to unwind and rest and relax, I want to swing a hammer. I want to hang some drywall. I want to do stuff that's just physical work. Well, I'm getting ready in, the, in my basement to start doing my electrical layout. And anytime you put in a light circuit, you functionally have two choices. Here's your first choice. It's a switch. On. Off. This is not a surprise to you. These are everywhere in your house and you use them all the time. They've been around since Thomas Edison and probably before, right? A simple switch. But there's another way you can set up an electrical circuit. You can use a dimmer, right? Now there's a point at which this dimmer turns on. But the whole point is that you can fade it up or fade it down. And that there's a different amount of light that enters the room based on that dimmer switch. Most of us think of belief as a switch. It's either on or it's off. But the Bible teaches that belief is quite a bit more like a dimmer. There's a point at which it's definitely off. But just because it's on doesn't mean it's on at full strength. The lights can be on, yet dim. Some of you were here on Christmas Eve for our candlelight service that we did in this very room. And at the end of that service, <laughs> we light a bunch of candles and spill wax all over the carpet that we clean up for weeks. Uh, but in doing that, we turn off all the lights so that we can enjoy just experiencing the growing light of those candles. And if you were here on that night, you might ask yourself this question. In that room, when all the lights were off and we just had candles, was it light in here or was it dark? Kind of both, right? It was certainly lighter than the darkness outside, but it wasn't as light as it is right now. Belief and unbelief can coexist in the same soul. John wants us to see that unbelief is a struggle even for disciples of Jesus. So what is unbelief? How could we describe it or define it or seek to put some language to it that will help us think more clearly about it? Let me give you a simple definition of unbelief. Unbelief is simply this, not taking God at his word and acting on it. Not taking God at his word and acting on it. That's a simple definition of unbelief. Look with me quickly at Romans chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. Again, you'll see it on the screens here. It's talking about Abraham, the great forefather of our faith. And notice what it says. No unbelief made Abraham waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. To notice it's saying Abraham was not a person of unbelief. What made him not a person of unbelief? Well, he took God at his word and acted on it. What Abraham had was the promise of God, specifically a promise that God would give him a land and that God would give him offspring. And he took that promise, that word from God as true and he acted upon it. He acted upon it by leaving his homeland and going to the land of Canaan, 
by buying property there, by burying his wife there, by making plans for his own burial there, by taking it on faith that what God had said was going to come to fruition. What Abraham did was he took God at his word and he acted upon it. And Romans is telling us this is what faith looks like. This is why Abraham is the model of faith. And by the way, if you remember the story of Abraham that we preached through a couple years ago, you know it was a little more complicated than just he always believed perfectly all the time. But I want you to remember it's the whole story of your life that matters, not any one moment. We look back at Abraham and we see the whole story of his life. And we see what he was marked by was faith. Unbelief is any place in your life where you you do not take God at his word and act on it. So where are those places in your life? What does that look like for you? Here's one of those places in my life, prayerlessness. My prayerlessness is an expression of my unbelief. If I really believed that what God says is true, if I really took Jesus at his word when he says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, John 14, verse 13. If I really took Jesus at his word, I would pray more fervently and more faithfully and more joyfully, and yet, I don't. My problem is not, I just need to pray more. My problem is unbelief. I fail to take God at his word and act on it. And listen, I can make New Year's resolutions all month about how I need to pray more, but if I never get to the unbelief that's underneath it all, it will do no good. And the same is true for you. The functional problem in your life is unbelief. That's what's underneath all your more surface, more behavioral, attitudinal sins and struggles. Where in your life do you fail to take God at his word and act on it? That's the nature of unbelief. Let's look now at some of the effects of unbelief. What does unbelief produce in our lives? How does John help shine light on unbelief by showing us the negative fruit that it brings in our lives? We're going to see at least four effects of unbelief that John points us to. Here's the first one. A weak experience of the Holy Spirit's presence and power in your life. We see this in John chapter 7 verses 37 through 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, John's editorial comment. Now, he said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. John, looking back on this moment, says Jesus was talking about the Spirit who was going to be poured out on those who believed in him. And so notice what Jesus says. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his being will flow rivers of living water. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. How many of you would say your experience of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in your life is like an always flowing river? 
Or is it sometimes more like a creek, stream, tributary, stagnant pool, hose that's barely turned on? Unbelief is like a dam in the river. Jesus says, whoever believes, here's what you can expect. The Holy Spirit is going to flow through you in powerful, life-changing ways. But that's an effect of taking Jesus at his word and acting upon it. So our unbelief restricts our experience of the Holy Spirit's presence and power. That's the first effect of unbelief. Here's a second effect. Spiritual darkness. John 12, verses 35 and 36. So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Where are the places in your life where you can sense lingering spiritual darkness? Darkness is always connected to unbelief. Jesus is the light of the world definitively. Wherever the words of Jesus are believed and acted upon, there is always light. But where there is unbelief, there's always lingering darkness. Here's the third effect of unbelief. A troubled heart. John 14, verse 1. Jesus speaking again to his disciples, to people who have left everything to follow him, to those who are his closest, most intimate friends. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. The solution to a troubled heart is to believe. A troubled heart is a sign, a symptom, an effect of unbelief. Where is your heart troubled? We have lots of other words for this, don't we? Sometimes we call it anxiety. Sometimes we call it stress. Sometimes we call it busyness. You know what Jesus calls it? A troubled heart. And at the root of it is unbelief, a failure to take God at his word and act on it. Here's the fourth effect of unbelief in our lives. A divided heart. John 5, verse 44. Jesus, speaking to the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, says, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Jesus is making a profound connection here. He's saying you can't possibly believe when you're seeking the wrong things. There's a connection in our lives between what we're seeking after and what we believe. Here's how we might say what Jesus is saying in a different way. If what you really want is to be impressive, 
If what you really want is to be approved of, if what you really want is the applause or the affection of the people around you, it's going to be hard for you to believe. Because taking God at his word and acting on it is always going to set you at odds with the world around you. There is no way to follow Jesus and be accepted by everyone. Let me say that again, because I just want you to hear that. There is no way to follow Jesus and have everyone like you. It's not possible. You know how we know that? Because Jesus. So here's what we've seen so far. We've seen that unbelief is the root of many of our other spiritual maladies. And we've seen four effects of unbelief. We've seen that unbelief leads to a weak experience of the Holy Spirit. Unbelief leads to lingering spiritual darkness in our lives. Unbelief leads to a troubled heart. And unbelief creates a divided heart. I hope that by this point in the sermon, you're beginning to identify the reality of unbelief in your own life. The places in your own soul where you fail to take God at his word and act on it. I hope you're feeling maybe a little bit of despair, a little bit of hopelessness, a little bit of, wow, this sermon's a real downer so far. Sermon's not over yet. Don't worry. There's a reason that John is putting emphasis on the nature of belief and unbelief. He wants you to see this is one of your core spiritual maladies. This is a problem that affects every human being. Remember, the whole purpose that John is writing, as he tells us in chapter 20, is that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. So he is writing this entire book to counter unbelief. And for the book to work, you have to see the unbelief in your life. And the unbelief is not just you haven't trusted in Jesus yet. The unbelief is all the places in your life where you fail to take God at his word and act on it. So let's look now at the solution to unbelief. Notice this odd, strange statement that Jesus makes in John 10, verse 37. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. So Jesus says, if you struggle with unbelief, here's what you should do. Look at the works I do. Somewhere in this building Sorry. Somewhere in this building this morning is a guy named Charlie. Charlie is my auto mechanic. I have been to some bad mechanics. You probably have too. And there is some unbelief in this area of my life. I believe hypothetically that vehicles can be repaired. I do not believe in every person who tries to repair them. So you know what I did the first time I took my vehicle to Charlie? I asked around. I talked to some people. 
And functionally what I asked them was this, do you believe in Charlie? And you know what they did? They told me about his works. They said, you know what? I took my vehicle to Charlie and he solved the problem that I had. You know, I had something go wrong with my car and I took it to him and he diagnosed it and repaired it and it seems like it's working fine and I've had a good experience. They helped me trust Charlie by telling me about the works that he had done. Jesus says, even if you don't believe in me, believe the works I do. Here's the point that Jesus is making. Here's the powerful truth that can defeat unbelief in your life and in mine. Listen to me. Your unbelief, your lack of faith, your skepticism and distrust changes nothing about what God has actually accomplished. God has delivered his people from Egypt, whether you believe it or not. God gave Moses the law on Mount Sinai, whether you believe it or not. God has spoken his word through the prophets, whether you believe that happened or not. God has sent his son to earth, whether you believe it or not. Jesus Christ really did die on the cross and rise from the dead, whether you believe that or not. Jesus has, in fact, sent the Holy Spirit, whether you believe it or not. Your unbelief does not change a thing about the work that God has done in Jesus. That is what it means to be saved by grace and not by works. Listen to me. You are not saved by the strength of your belief. You are saved by the objective work of God in history. The solution to unbelief is not to look within yourself, to try to muster up some more faith, some more earnestness, some more emotion. The solution to unbelief is to look outside yourself to the work that God has done in Jesus Christ, which includes the work of dying and rising again for his unbelieving, faithless disciples. Look again, my, my electrical paraphernalia is falling off the pulpit here. Look again at how Jesus responds to Thomas's unbelief in John chapter 20. We already looked at this verse. Look at it again. John 20, verse 26. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Not doggone it, why don't you guys believe? Not what's wrong with you, Thomas. I've done a lot for you. His greeting is, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, Thomas, these wounds are for your unbelief. 
I went to the cross for you. Not even your unbelief and doubt can undo my death and resurrection. I died to cover even your unbelief. So, in light of that, no longer disbelieve, but believe. The solution to unbelief is to acknowledge it. To acknowledge that it's there, that it exists. And then to come back to the good news that God has saved sinners through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. You are not saved and changed by the strength of your belief. You are saved and changed by the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. He has given himself for his people, even when they are faithless and fickle and doubtful. So friends, let's take him at his word this morning. Let's bring our unbelief to him. Let's hear his promise of forgiveness and grace. And let's allow him to fill us with fresh joy and fresh power. I want to ask you to pray with me. Let's bow our heads together. I want you to take a minute and just identify the areas of your own unbelief. Where is your unfaith? Name it. Identify it in your heart before the Lord. God, we confess with the company of your disciples that we are slow of heart to believe your promises. We do not take you at your word and act on it. We are unbelieving in all kinds of complicated ways. And so this morning, we just want to hold that unbelief before you and say, this, this is who we are. Here are the people of Coromdeo Church. Here are the people hearing this sermon now. Here's all the places of our unbelief. The places where we lack faith, where we don't want to take you at your word and believe that what you have said and done is true. Thank you, Jesus, that you have died for our sins and for our unbelief. Thank you that you have risen again to conquer our doubts and our fears and our worries. Thank you that you have sent your Holy Spirit to fill us and to change us. So renew in us now hopeful confidence in the work you have done in time and space and history. And would you defeat forever in our hearts the lie that the strength of our belief is what matters? Would you help us to repent of trusting in our trust? And would you help us instead trust in the work that you have done in time and space and history? Fill us this morning with fresh joy fresh faith, fresh confidence, fresh hope, and fresh love for our good and for your glory. Amen.